0: It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Welcome. It is so good to have you with us. My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor here. Portico is one church, one message, many expressions— and that means that we have a few different places where we meet. However, it's all the same church. It's all the same message. We, we study the same thing. Our, our preaching team, our pastors all work together. And we are just on one journey together helping people find their way back to God. And we are moving into part three of our Moses Unscripted series. And it's been a great journey seeing where Moses, where God has brought the people of, of Israel and where God has brought Moses. And what we found is that we found ourselves right in Moses' story. And although sometimes we would think, hey, Moses is this hero of the Bible. No, what we've discovered is that Moses is much like you or I, and he struggles with the same things that you or I may struggle with. Now, if you've ever been into a counseling session, if, if you don't know, I'm also a, a trained CBT therapist and I uh, still meet with clients regularly in the, in the community and meet with some people in the church as well. But we, we have a thing called, that we just call a stress scale. And each event in your life, is assigned a certain number of points, and there's there's different scales that that, that different people will use. But there's a generally um, agreed upon number that we have assigned to many of the um, many of the higher stress or higher um, emotional activities in our lives. And if you accumulate 300 points, then a therapist would say, you know, you're you're potentially in a danger spot for having a mental health issue if you score between 150 and 299 it still puts you in the risk zone now i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm gonna put up a scale no self-diagnosing this morning okay <laughs> if, you, if you think that you may see some of these events I- in your life and you think you may be moving towards the um moving towards the 150 or the 200 or the or the or the, or the 300 points then um you can come and have a chat, and we'll recommend somebody, but uh, <laughs> no self-diagnosing, okay? So uh, Andrew, go ahead and throw up uh, that, that, uh, that stress skill this morning, or oh no, we're in the midst of doing something. Oh no, we are there, okay. So the, the number one stressful um, activity that we have found to be uh, causing a great deal of emotional response in people's lives is death of a loved one, death of a spouse, and that'll, that'll tick off at uh, 100 points, and that puts you more than halfway to put in the potential risk zone separation of marriage or in a long-term relationship uh, is, uh, is 70, you got 73 there, it's labeled there as divorce, but any really separation of a long-term, r- long-term relationship. If you'll notice, just getting married is actually 50. So getting married is, is two-thirds as stressful as separating from marriage. Entering a new relationship, what does that tell us? Entering a new relationship is stressful. It changes the way that, it changes the way that we work. Major, major injury, uh, is up there around uh, around 50, being fired from a job is up there around 50. And what we find is that any major life transition, so whether it's retirement, moving, new child, new job, moving to a new place, they all land between 35 and 50 points on the stress scale or one-third of the way to potentially having a challenge. What does that tell us? New beginnings are scary. New <laughs> New beginnings are challenging for us. How many people have lived in their current community for less than 2 years. You've you've lived in this for less than 2 years. Less than 1 year. Less than like less than a month. Anybody anybody just see we have, we 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 really um, we, we really are a transient society. We're moving in and out. Sp- Milton is one of these places where there's we're growing by 5,000 people every month. So there's lots of new people coming in all the time. And what are the things that, that you looked for when you first moved to this new community that you wanted to be central to where you are? Was it like the Chinese food place? Was it uh, you wanted to know where the gym is? You, was it the dentist or the doctor? A lot of us may be looking for schools. There, there are things that we look for to be very central to our lives. And... Uh, because when we move to this new place and we're dealing with this great deal of stress, we start to build both anxiety and excitement. Now, I, I don't know if you knew this, but, but physiologically, anxiety and excitement are, are actually the, the same thing. What, what happens is we get an elevated heart rate there's an increase in cortisol in our in our bodies, which produces a heightened ability to do things. It's important in our lives when there's a fearful situation coming, so we can react quickly. I don't know if you've ever heard of those situations where, like, a parent has been able to lift a car off of their off of their child, or the, you have got this extra speed to run away from an animal that was attacking somebody. If you ever read some of these crazy stories, you think, "How do we do that?" Well, when we have these feelings happening, we have an increase in cortisol, we're able to do things that we maybe once weren't able to do. And that same feeling is coming whether we're excited, because some of us would say, hey, when I move to a new town, I'm actually really excited about it. But that feeling of excitement is the exact same physiologically in our bodies as anxiety is. And one of the, one of the amazing things is that I was reading part of this uh, study is that when people characterize it as excitement they were able to perform between 17 and 22 percent better than when they characterized that feeling as anxiety. So nothing changed. It's the same feeling, the same stress, the same hormones happening in your body. But when you characterize it as, hey, I'm excited about this, they achieved 22 percent better on math tests we should tell our kids this, right? You're not you're not worried about math. You're excited about math. How many of your kids would buy into that? Anyone? Anyone? No. One. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he's not doing math yet. That's why. <laughs> they were able to present uh, perform 17% better musically, as well in their ability to speak persuasively. Just the only difference was when they characterize it. Hey, I'm feeling excited about this, as opposed to I'm feeling anxious about it. But the point being that new situations have the potential to push us to new heights or they have the potential to totally derail us. 22% on a math test. Think about that. Where would that have put you? Anybody, anybody got like under 70 on, your, on your, like your final math exam? Like you got under 70? So if you finish between 50 and 70, that 22%, yeah, that moves you from pass to fail. It has the ability, th- those feelings that happen in our bodies can't have, uh, have the ability to absolutely derail what we're doing or push us to brand new heights. So as we get into part three of Moses Unscripted, we're going to look at how Israel set up their living situation. They're now in the wilderness. They're not going to get their, to their new place to live for another 39 years. And there's approximately one and a half to two million people camping at the base of a mountain. And Moses goes up onto this mountain, and he disappears for forty days to have some one-on-one time with God. And God begins to tell Moses all throughout this passage. We're going to be in Exodus nineteen for a bit this morning, so if you want to open up your Bibles, uh, you can um, you can go to Exodus nineteen, or you can go there in your devices. And we're going to read some we're going to read some verses there. But over and over, you're going to hear God say, "And you're you're this is what you're to tell the Israelites to do." So. Moses is up on the mountain, 40 days, he's having one-on-one t- uh, time with God, and he begins to give specific instructions on how they were to structure their camp. And people would have been very nervous, and people would have been very excited, because all of life was about to change. Everything about how they were structured was about to change. And that's why I wanted to be sitting here much more central to you this morning, because I wanted to throw a few people off that usually sit here. Well, I can't sit here now. Should I sit here? I've got to turn my head differently. These are the feelings that they would have had on a much greater scale because all of life is about to change and they're trying to decide what's going to be central to the way that we live our lives. So let's go to Exodus 19, verses 1 and 2. Just off the bat, here's what it says. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, so they're only gone three months, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. Sinai is the mountain. They're in the desert plains just below it. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. So what are we going to learn from, how, from uh, what they did to uh, set up their community? Well, the first thing is this, is that, that God intentionally began to bring together a sense of community. And if you're filling in blanks, that's your first one there, community. When, when we moved here, like, like I said, there, there are some things that we wanted to make sure we knew. We knew. We wanted to find a new doctor. We wanted to find a new place to go and work out, run on the trails. We wanted to find our favorite restaurant. Some people literally choose their homes based on proximity to certain things. Did did anybody change where they were going to move based on the school or based on something? Was anybody, or you don't want to listen? Yeah, a few people, right? We say, no, I need to be close to this. And if my life, my house if, if everything isn't close to what's important to me, then I don't even want to move here. And that can be, in, in our day and age, <laughs> that can be a $100,000 decision, right? <laughs> but it's that important that we want to put our lives close to that. Well, God instructs Moses specifically on how they're to establish their community. Now, I want you to, if you have your Bible, I want you to go to, to Numbers chapter 2. And I'm going to read a couple, of, a couple of verses out of, uh, I'm going to start reading out of Numbers chapter 2. And if, if you ever need, you're ever having difficulty sleeping, and, and like you want something extremely boring that was written that 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 has value but, but something that is very boring, go to numbers and there's there's some wonderful books of the Bible there that are written that are horribly boring and will put you to sleep. I'm being full serious here. So let's let's read let's read numbers. Then the Lord this is This is while Moses is up on the mountain. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. When the Israelites set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all four sides of the tabernacle, but some distance from it. The divisions of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun are to camp towards the sunrise on the east side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of their tribe, their leaders, and the numbers of the registered troops. Judah, who had Nashadon, son of Abinadab, had 74,600. Issachar, Nathaniel, son of Zuar, 54,400. Zebulun, Eliab, son of Helon, had 57,400. You excited yet? Let's keep going. <laughs> so, the, so the total of troops on Judah's side of the camp is 186,400. These three tribes are to lead the way whenever the Israelites travel to a new campsite. The division it goes on again and again and again, just breaking down the division. riveting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> why, why is this recorded in the Bible? Why, why would God have it? There is a reason. Trust me on this. I want this is this is your bedtime reading for tonight, though, when you're having that difficult reading and you want to go back and, and you want to go back and not work up all the anxiety and the excitement in your mind. But I want to show a a layout. Andrew, go ahead. To here is a graphic image of what was instructed in Numbers chapter 2. See, we've got on the bottom there Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon, totaling 186,540 people. Notice the arrangement of the shape that's being made here. Remember, these are, this, was, this was even done by a Jewish artist, so someone who doesn't have even the schema for Christ, d- doesn't even believe that Christ was the, was, the, was the Messiah. This is the picture he put together out of what happened in Numbers chapter 2. Thousands of years before Christ would even come, while Moses is up on the mountain getting instructions about numbers of the community and the way to structure, God creates a cross out of all of all of the people because the greatest number was at, was were going to be south, and or no, I guess that's east. Sorry, but towards towards the bottom and then. Um, and then the equal numbers basically if you read the rest of numbers are there on the right and left of of your screen and then the smallest number facing west towards the top 2,000 people before God was ever going to reconcile his people back towards him he sets their community in the shape of a cross mind blown when you start to think of those things and then he brings himself into the center and he says, We're going to structure the tabernacle right there in the, in the middle. So the people would get a sense of how life was to be structured. And a leader who is leading out in, in front is very different from a leader that's in the center of the people. If, if you've got a leader that's out in front, if you've ever run in a race, they have these things called the pace bunnies. And they have the little bunny ears and they run. And they go, Here's your pace bunny time. And you're supposed to run. And you're chasing that bunny down the hole. Slow down, bunny. And you want them. Like he's setting the pace. She's setting the pace and you're, you're kind of frustrated by them, you're motivated by them, but it's very different than when you've got somebody running right beside you and saying, hey, you can do this, keep coming along, and you're having conversation with that person. A leader right beside you that's central to the group that's there works very differently than a leader that's right out in front. And Exodus 19 and 4 says, that this, is what, this is what God says to, the pe- to Moses to tell the people, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings And brought you to myself. I'm bringing you close to me. And he says, I want to put the tabernacle, if you read all of Numbers, right at the center, bring you to myself. Now, this is curious because at this point, the issue of sin means that to see God would mean death. If if you came face to face with God's presence, you would die. When when God's presence came down on the mountain, when He spoke, they said it sounded like thunder and lightning. And so there was this cloud around, so that He would veil Himself from from Israel. They would have one high priest that would go into the in, when they had this tabernacle. Um, constructed one high priest would go in one time a year when moses saw god face to face when he was invited in they had to be the the, the proper cleansing and, and sacrificial rituals and then his face shone like the sun to see god meant death on, on, except under very specific circumstances everyone was terrified of god's presence and yet god so desired community that he put himself right in the middle of the people even though it was dangerous and even though it was terrifying for them And then through Jesus, he deals with the issue of sin for us so that we can then have better community with God today. And we have the Holy Spirit resident right in us, regardless of what it was going to cost. It was always God's plan to have community with his people. Look what it says in Ephesians 1 and 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. This is, he set the people, he set his nation up as a cross, giving them the picture that God had already decided he was going to bring him to himself in advance, through Christ Jesus, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And worship with God, church lived out together. We often reduce it to an event that we attend, and we go, I, I attend church. And we have a stage, and there's people that are up on, on stage, and there's a speaker that's up on stage, and there's, there's a certain time. But it was never designed to be done that way. And God brings himself right to the center of that community. And our experience is, I choose to pop into church for worship a few times a month because that's that's the way that we have structured our life. But when we go right back to that to that beginning, we go, no, God structured it so that we would have community, and He moves right into the neighborhood. <laughs> and you know, He still wants it to be that way. We we grabbed a map of all of our growth groups, and we've got. Uh, and I think this is going to be a Mississauga-centric. No, no. Okay, good. We've got both of them there. So we've got our two campus locations there, and this is why we do growth groups out in the community. We know there are other ways to do church. We know that we know that not everybody finds it comfortable to go to somebody else's house and and have um, a meeting there and and be challenged each other out of the Bible there. But we believe. It's so important that we connect with each other. This is why we have groups that are meeting. Some of you are looking for your group right now, aren't you? You're saying, saying, where's my little dot? I think it's there somewhere. These These are the locations of our growth groups that we have meeting all over the community. And the reason we do it is because we believe God's presence goes with us as Christ followers and then we go and we move right into the neighborhood God's presence was never intended to be off by itself just somewhere in a building but it was intended to be central to everything that we do so whether that's central in your neighborhood central to your life and if you've not connected in that kind of community with Christ and with others you might be missing out on the most life giving part of, of your faith. We really believe that even in our campus, although we have five or six that are active groups now, we need two or three more groups meeting. And you know what it requires to host a growth group? It requires that you believe in Jesus and want to get closer to him. You're not a teacher. You're You're not designed to have all the answers. It's saying, would you commit together to studying the word? We'll give you the material. We'll teach on Sunday and then you can go and talk about it. The purpose of it is to bring God's presence into our community so it's central. And so we experienced the same thing that they experienced when God moved in to their midst. And God says, I brought you to myself. God says, I adopted you. These are not words of describing event attendance. These are words that describe shared life experience. We really believe that even though it's summer, there may be a group or two that starts out of, our, of, of this thought process today. Maybe it'll be a group that'll start in the fall, and God's going to work on your heart. We really believe we need a few more groups so that everyone that's a part of the event attendance on Sunday then experiences that community outside of what we just do here. And God established this new community based on that principle alone. Well, number one is community. The second thing he does here is he establishes a covenant. And God can't get away from this issue of sin. God created him. God created us like him. And there was no sin. And then he gives humanity a choice to live without sin. But then we enter sin into the equation. And we change history with that one equation. Then we can't have face-to-face um, meeting with God because we have sin and to see God means death because of the sin in our lives. So God had to establish some kind of covenant, some kind of relationship that would go about maintaining the perfect community that he always wanted for us, but he had to figure out what is he gonna do for a perfect God and imperfect humans to come together? Well, here's what he says in Exodus 19:5 5 and A. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, and he began the covenant with Abraham, he was playing out a little more here, then all of the nation... It, then out all of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now that was spoken just to Israel. It's a promise that extends to us now because after Christ, Paul came and said, came and taught us there's no there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no Greek or slave. We're all together as one. That promises to us. If we obey fully and keep his covenant, then out of all the nations we become his treasured possession. But the purpose of this covenant was for relationship. It was never to be based on rules. The rules ensure that the covenant is maintained, but the rules were not the purpose. God God wasn't establishing things that we had to do and and weren't supposed to do because he just wanted to set apart rules. Sacrifice was actually at the core of this relationship. God was looking at his people saying, you're going to have to sacrifice. If you want to have a perfect relationship with me, it's going to cost you something. And then in turn, through Jesus Christ, he said, I want to have a relationship with you, so I'm going to sacrifice something. Both ends of the covenant were costly sacrifices. But that still happens in, our, in all of our relationships. Think about this. If you love someone, you will sacrifice for them, right? If you want to show me love, b- wash my car and barbecue me a steak. Just to j- <laughs> So it's a beautiful day out there. Just go. No. we we will, we will sacrifice for people that we want to show that we love. It's it's if you've ever done the five love languages study, it's one of the ways, the five key ways that people give and receive love. It's by an act of service. And we limit ourselves and our acts all the time. We say I'm going to I'm going to just show my love to you alone. I'm just going to give my love to one person. That's the way that we demonstrate love for another person. We restrict ourselves We sacrifice for that person. And this was the plan. This was the covenant relationship that was being established between Israel and God. Restriction and sacrifice would be the keys of this covenant. And this is hard for some people because we don't like the feeling or the word that we're to be restricted. We would rather conduct ourselves with the restraints that we determine to be necessary. We say, I'm going to show God love the way that I want to show God love. After all, we are so full of wisdom and we are so full that we know how to uh, honor God best, right? Well, we're full of something, but I won't. <laughs> Baloney. <laughs> so on the mountain, God lays out these 10 commandments, these 10 rules of conduct, and, we've, and he gives it to Moses on these, on these two tablets. And then this begins the rule-keeping part, the sacrificial part of the covenant. Now, we want to do a little bit of teaching about these Ten Commandments this morning. In Hebrew, the word commandment means sayings. So the Ten Commandments were the Ten Sayings. And we have probably misinterpreted, misunderstood some of this because of our English language and our English translation. These were never designed to be the Ten Commandments and the other, because there are 613 laws. If, if you really want to get bored, read the rest of Numbers and Leviticus. It's got a whole, Renee just did a, a, a Bible college course on that. It's horribly, it's wonderfully boring, isn't it? Yeah. There's all, there's, it has a purpose. That's what she's discovered. She got to the end of six months and goes, it had a purpose. <laughs> I read all that for a reason. There are 613 commandments in there. These 10 are the ones that we highlight, but because they were given in this 10 in this grandiose way. But these are the 10 sayings. And well, if you really begin to study it, what you understand is that these are the larger buckets. And if you go through the 613 laws that were given for the Jews to follow, each of them actually fall underneath one of these 10 buckets. So that these these aren't the ten you're supposed to do, and the rest like you can do whatever you want as long as you keep these ten. No, there's a whole bunch of ways to honor and follow God, and these ten sayings were were kind of the larger groupings of where we are to follow God, and if and and if you break it down even even more, the first five are the way that we honor God, and the or, or is our relationship to God, and the second five are the way that we relate to other people that thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's just us and God. Don't make any graven images, so don't worship an, an idol. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't give worship, to, don't use God's name as an act of, of, of cursing or, or promising. This is just for worship. Remember the Sabbath day. Here are the two where we miss sometimes. The Sabbath day, when we rest, when we take a break from our work, that's actually our worship to God. Why? Because God created in six days and then he rested on the seventh. And when we rest, we are remembering God's rhythm. So just, listen, just going and having a nap this afternoon, that is worship. There, who needed to hear that this morning, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, I am worshiping, do not leave me alone. You're washing my car and making my steak, right? You are you're showing love and I'm worshiping. So this is a wonderful thing. We need, but when, but when, when we rest, we honor God. The last one here on the way that we relate to God, honor your mother and your father The Hebrew rabbis um, or the Jewish rabbis understand it this way. God is our father who is our giver of life. And when we honor those who gave us life, we're honoring God. And it's that same relationship. And the first five, this is why they're written on the two tablets. God wouldn't have left this to chance. He wrote five on one tablet, the way that we have a relationship with God, the way that we honor God, just one-to-one that way. And then five that we're not to kill, commit adultery, steal, lie, and and covet, become, become jealous. And these are the, the buckets of conduct that he gives us. And then the other, the other 613, if you want to read all of it, I'm, go ahead and read it. There's some stuff that we learn. Some Actually, when we read all the rest of the commandments, it, it's amazing the detail that God looks into our lives. It's amazing the ways that we can honor God. But it's like our law system. There's Article B, Subsection 3, that was amended in 1967. It's the same way. There's all these articles that fall underneath these 10 groupings. And we don't just want to go back to these things because to honor God goes way beyond these 10 things. And then when Jesus was asked, what are the most important? He said, well, it's actually only only the first couple that you should have no other gods. You should um, honor, on, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and have no other gods before me. He, um, and love your neighbor as yourself there, I'm getting ahead of myself, that he said that these t- the whole law is actually wrapped up in two commandments, to love God and to love other people. So we can look at it in any number of different ways. But covenant was established. We would restrict ourselves. We would sacrifice so that we would have perfect relationship with God. Now I want you to think about this. And all that Hebrew history, that wasn't even brought to us by Joe, just for the record. That, that came out of uh, Doug and I's study. So there, we can, we can do some Hebrew study too. <laughs> But I want you to think about this. How many laws did you break on the way to church this morning? How many of these 10? Or how many of the even how many of the two to love God and to love others did you break on the way to church this morning? Did did you drive by somebody else's car and go, "Man, I wish my car was not like loud and breaking down." Or did you drive by Chris's bike and think, "Oh, I just need I need a bike <laughs> like that." What about, did you, did you lie when the family was having breakfast and there was enough for two pieces of bacon for everybody, but you had a third piece? And, no, I didn't eat that extra piece of bacon. <laughs> did you engage in work on a day that you were supposed to engage in rest? I want you to think about this. How many laws did we break on your way to church? <laughs> it's, it's impossible for us to keep all the laws, which is supposed to be the base of our interconnectedness with God. Does that weight ever get to you? just in an open moment, full, full openness, full honesty, when you reflect on who we are and who God is, and you would think, man, there is some bad stuff inside of me. There is some stuff that really doesn't honor God. I'm greedy. I would rather buy myself a new pair of shoes than give in the offering. I'm judgmental. I question people's motives. I have anger or hatred for people inside me that bring hurt or offense into my life. I question God when he doesn't come through. We're supposed to have this relationship with God that's based on obedience because we love him, yet we can't follow through on this even on our way to church. <laughs> and that's, none of those are the blatant external sin which we would hide from other people, the ones where we act with maliciousness. So how can we be in covenant with God when this is who we are? How can, how can we lead How can we even just live our lives when we have this weight? I want to read for you Matthew 11, 29 and 30. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is Jesus coming. I want you to take my teaching upon you. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there's this heaviness of the law that's on us, of obedience that's on us. But then Jesus says, I'm going to offer you blanket forgiveness in this, covenant, in this covenant agreement when you take on the yoke of Jesus because sin is real and God takes sin very seriously. We are separated from him. We are deserving of death and it requires great sacrifice to bridge that gap together. And then Romans 5 and 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And he says, all of the stuff that makes you fall short, you don't even need to carry that weight anymore. The whole purpose was to fulfill the community covenant. It started with Abraham. It continues in Moses. What we pray and hope is that it it follows out in your story today. Following God was never meant to be easy. It requires great sacrifice. But following God was never meant to be heavy. It was never meant to give us guilt because he recognized that we couldn't do it. So he said, I choose to limit and sacrifice myself because I love God and I recognize that when I fall short, Christ has already made provision for me to come back together through the work of the cross, which was established in even the way the Israelites set out their community. I was talking with a veteran pastor, a guy who had been pastoring for years, and he had a whole bunch of young leaders together. And these young leaders were wanting to get better with what they were doing, and they were wanting God to bless their church. And there are all these people who wanted to ask this old guy, what was the secret? What, what made you so successful? And the one, the one asked, when were you able to get past the temptations and the bad thoughts and the sinful shortcomings so, so God could really use you? When were you able to get past it all? And his answer was this. You know, the older that I get, the more aware I am of how sinful I am and how fall short I fall. Not less. I'm more aware how far I am. And... I'm also more aware of how God's grace is so undeserving yet so life-giving at the same time. The older, the further we get along in this journey, the more we should realize I can't do it and God loves me so much that he made a way for me. Israel's greatest king, the greatest king in the history of Israel, the one that brought the nations back together, that started the building of the temple, David, he slept with a neighbor's wife and had her husband killed to cover up his act. The New Testament's greatest writer oversaw the murder of Christians and the destruction of the church, somebody who fell completely short. And these covenant rules that we were given, some would say, you know, the Old Testament is gone. I don't even need to worry about that anymore. The God's, Jesus' grace covers up my sin, which is true. But they were never meant to be overlooked, ignored, or forgotten. Yet at the same time, they were never meant to be laid up on our shoulders as big heavy weights for us to carry. Because before we were even created, God planned to adopt us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you and I are both broken and righteous. That's the beautiful teaching, the beautiful theology. We are broken sinners and at the same time made righteous. We are fallen short and we are lifted up. And the covenant is not a heavy-handed rule book that's supposed to stress us out. It's actually a beautiful picture of God's merciful love for us. And I, I choose... To sacrifice what I can and choose to limit myself because God first loved me, and we finish the story. Seeing how God intended this community and this covenant to be the basis upon which we build our identity. That's our third fill in the blank. If you're introducing yourself to a new group of people, to an, you're in a new job, you're in a new home, you're in a new community. How many descriptors does it take for you to get before you use the word, I'm Christian, I'm a believer? Calling yourself Christian doesn't get us very far in our world, right? (laughs) When when we call ourselves Christian outside of a Christian community, we're often seen as small-minded or naive or judgmental. You know how God describes someone who's a, a Christ follower? He describes you as holy. Exodus 15, 9b and over to 6a. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter wrote it this way. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What would it take for you to wake up every day convinced that you are holy? What would it take for you every day to be convinced that Christ reflects off of you, that even though you have sin, it's already been made It's already been taken care of, and everything can be different. I think it would take a conscious awareness of Christ's presence in our work and Christ's presence in our lives. And this is why God establishes his people in this cross with the tent, the tabernacle, as central. This is why we are to create our identity the same as his. Peace in life, fulfillment, comes when we have that awareness that our, our, even our identity is rooted in him. The mind is a powerful thing. And whatever we give attention to and focus wins out. This is why I began the morning with this study. When you say, I am excited, you can perform 25% better. <laughs> when you say, Christ is central to my life, what does that do? When you move something, when you rearrange your mind, rearrange... Our, our meeting, when you rearrange things to make sure that every day you see him central to everything that you do, what does that do for you? God wants to be so central for us. This morning, we're gonna end with that song again, and Heather, Heather's gonna come, and we're gonna respond with a song that just says, Jesus, I want you to be the center, and I don't know what, that, I don't know what that's gonna mean for you. This morning, there may be people that You've never said that before, that you've never said to, to Christ, Jesus, I want you to be the center. And as you sing this song, as you just sing these simple words, God said all it takes to, to honor him is to say, I'm sinful and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, so I want to be with you. That's all that it takes. For some of us, it'll be we've been following God a long time, but there's been a bunch of other things that have become central, central to our lives. And this morning, I want you to make a covenant. I want all of us to uh, take some time to make a covenant with him. And we're not going to make a covenant that says, I am never going to break one of those 10 rules. I'm never going to go outside of those 10 buckets again. What is the covenant we're going to make? The covenant is going to say, Lord, I will sacrifice anything I need to. Lord, I will make you center to my life. Every day I will wake up with the reminder that you're in the middle. Everything else flows around. So Heather's going to lead us, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to pray. But just take some time. You can sing if you want. You can reflect if you want. What would it look like for you to put Jesus at the center? And what I love about God and the Holy Spirit is that he will speak to each one of us individually. And I just want to pray for you this morning that whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you have the ability to respond. This is in your notes, Exodus 19. I love how the people respond. Even, w- even with the, the terrifying presence, the thunder, the lightning coming into the mountain, even with, even with that fear and that excitement and all that energy, here's what they say. The people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are speaking to our hearts individually this morning. Lord, I thank you that um, we serve a God that is so personal and speaks in quietness of moments through a song, through a scripture, through a soft voice, in our heads and in in our minds. Lord, we know how you're calling us to respond. So Lord, I pray for people this morning. God, if you are asking us to make a direct change in the name of Jesus, would you give us the ability to make that change? Lord, if you're asking us to take a step of faith that we had never taken before, Lord, I pray that we have confidence that even though we don't know exactly how things will work out, you'll be there, you'll come through, you're real, Lord. Lord, if you're asking us to stay steady In a time of 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 what's seeming to be chaos all around us and maybe we would react improperly lord i pray you give us the confidence to remain steady lord whatever it be in the name of jesus i pray by the power of the holy spirit that we would be able to respond as you're calling to our hearts this morning lord we love serving you lord i pray that uh, there would be no guilt for anyone this morning that would that would feel like they've fallen short, that they've let you down, Lord. The message of the Ten Commandments, the message of the covenant that you made for us is not is not one of guilt. It's about one of true love and laying down our best for you, Lord. God, thank you for um, the ability to meet together and, and um, I, ch- I pray, Lord, that we have the, c- the ability and the confidence and the strength to live out what you're saying to us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.